This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, and welcome to Becoming Her. Um, just for the listeners so that they know, um, we have our next guest coming in via FaceTime. So if we sound a little bit different, that's why. But um, hopefully we'll be able to hear nice and loud and clear. And uh, hello. Hi. How's Hi. it going? Good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. So for this podcast, I won't be using your name. So instead of... Um, you know, doing our normal introductions, we're just going to dive right in. And um, is that okay with you? That sounds great to me. Awesome. So I guess, you know, I'm just going to ask a really general question and um, have you start telling your story wherever it makes the most sense for you. Okay, let's go. All right. So where, where did it begin or where do you want to start? So um, it's been... Let's see. It's been four years and a few days since I was um, raped uh, in college. It was my senior year. It was by this guy that was just a very selfish, jerky person. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that now, these days, he wouldn't really have much of an effect on me. But, you know, back then I was I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to romance and that sort of thing. So I was very naive and trusting and always believed the best of people. And I'd just broken up with my long-term boyfriend who was like my first love kind of thing. So I was just very vulnerable, mm. but didn't realize it. Like looking back, I'm like, oh, honey, it's okay. But at the time you're like, no, 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 I'm strong. I'm fine. Um, so that made me kind of vulnerable to um, this guy who was just a, a jerk. Um, we'd actually had um, what I did not know at the time with casual sex a couple times and that was consensual not very memorable but you know consensual legal um and it kind of caused me to have feelings for him but I also recognized like I'm kind of I'm very trusting but I am at least intelligent when it comes to recognizing toxic behaviors even if I forgive people too easily mm -hmm. so I was kind of separating myself from him as much as possible we were went to the same college college was small like real small random people all the time you know right so you were going to be seeing this person kind of everywhere no matter what yeah um and so one night I was actually celebrating my birthday um went to the bar and got very drunk very very drunk it was um my inhibitions were just lower just because it was my senior year. So I kind of figured it was the last time I'd be able to get like really drunk on my birthday. Many of us have had a very similar experience in college, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, last time I was like, okay, you know, next year when I turn 23, I'll probably be working and can't really get drunk and might not even want to get drunk. So I'm like, okay, you know, like this is the end of the year. Like let's let loose and also all these projects do because senior year. Right. Yeah. Um, and long story short, I ended up going to the toxic guy's room, um, originally just intending to talk and it quickly, um, turned into a very uncomfortable situation, especially for someone who is again, very drunk. Right. There's parts of the night that I don't remember. Um, 
the next day I woke up and um, really didn't feel so great. Um, and I kind of snuck out and there was a moment where I could either go to my dorm or go to a professor's office because I knew her hours. I just remember I'd gotten an email knowing what her hours were and she said she was going to be in her office early. And I, a part of me even then just wanted me to go to her office and Mm. don't even know what, but. So something inside of you is like, Hey, you know, something, something bad has happened. You know, like part of you wanted to look for some help. Yeah. Yeah. And I trusted her and I still trust her. She's, you know, a great professor and definitely a great role model and just somebody who really cares about her students. Um, but I didn't, I, uh, it was raining. Um, I couldn't find my shirt, so I wore his hoodie and I just walked back as fast and as discreetly as I could. Cause it was like seven in the morning, bunch of college students around trying to make sure I didn't run into anybody I knew right. and just walked back to my apartment and slept for two hours and then got super sick. Like, cause I was hungover and ended up skipping class that day. And I just, it was, uh, it was a very bad time after that because I tried to, um, all the signs were there, you know, and I tried to just kind of make it so that it wasn't as bad as it was. Um, but that was probably the most miserable six weeks of my life, five weeks of my life because I was in denial and, but I was just so scared all the time. I'm not a very scared person, you know, I'm very independent and, you know, things don't really intimidate me too much. I'm also really socially awkward. So sometimes I don't even know when it would be a good time to be, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe we should be a little embarrassed. I'll just be like, hi guys. And then it like, turns out these two people were like making out, you know what I mean? Right. (laughs) And then I would just be like, Oh shit, that's me. And, um, so the fact that you were scared at all is like, you know, a pretty big internal red flag. It was, and it's, I was obsessed with knowing where the guy was, and it wasn't because I wanted to see him, though. I wasn't excited. I didn't want to know. It's because I had to know if he was in the same room as me. Was he going to be there? Was he going to, you know, just where was he? It was like, um, I know now it's a very common symptom of assault in that you're basically like prey, Mm -hmm. and the person who assaulted you is the predator, and you know that, so Mm -hmm. you just want to know where the predator is. Especially on such a small campus, you know, there's only so many places you can go. I'm sure it amplified that feeling a lot. Oh, it, oh, it did. Mm. <laughs> um, and I kind of just don't want to talk anymore about that. Long story short, though, I did. Um, I ended up accepting what happened to me after a very horrible month of panic attacks and nightmares and flashbacks of what had happened that night and just in general just not being myself and then I just I don't know exactly what it was I think it was because I went out with some friends during like a senior bar crawl didn't get very drunk this time but I just had a very fun day Mm. with people who were not around him I feel like it almost kind of cleared a fog and I just kind Mm. of accepted it of this guy raped me didn't he yeah. yeah, he did. And it can take a while for that reality to sink in. Nobody wants to believe that thoughts happen to them or, you know, think that about someone they know. So it's not always, I think that's a common misconception that it's like this immediate realization and I knew what happened and, you know, I knew that it was wrong. It's like, no, you know, people really wrestle with the reality of what happens to them and it can take a while for it to sink in. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And I mean, I've learned learned a lot about it in the last 
four years about how you react to a traumatic event. Right. And um, the mind is very, the human mind is really interesting, but it's tricky. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it tries to get you to forget because that's the easiest way to like heal. But, you know, the best way is to just confront what happened and talk about your feelings and talk about what happened and move through it instead of trying to avoid it. Right. But um, so those first few weeks, I was not trying to do that. I ended up... Um, telling my professor, telling my closest friends, um, really clinging to a core group of people who I always knew, like, that's the funny, that's the interesting part in hindsight is just who I knew I could trust instinctively. Mm. Um, and who I probably shouldn't. Um, luckily all my friends were very supportive. Um, you know, didn't try to convince me that he's a good guy. He wouldn't do that. Like none of them were like that. So that was good. Um, and I told the school, so they opened up a sexual assault investigation. They ended up finding, um, he got to stay on campus even while I was graduating, even though he wasn't, he was not graduating. So that was a really shitty, uh, shitty last six weeks of college. Um, I've never been back to my college campus and I don't think I ever will. Cause I just, some things you just can't forget right and there was the trauma of the assault but then being re-traumatized by the lack of support from the school so it's not just you know the one person in the one space or it's like the whole campus is sort of tainted with these memories yeah no and also like you know I didn't really like my college even before that like most of my friends were older than me and Mm -hmm. they graduated so by my senior year I like didn't have that many friends that I like really like felt close to um but uh I graduated. I went home. I was basically a pile of nothing on my parents' couch for like two weeks watching Netflix, like just basically like recovering from, you know, the the assault, the stress of the school year, just in general, like just trying to be like, what the fuck was that? Mm -hmm. Um, What the hell kind of senior year was that? And um, then I kind of started to put it together a little bit. I, um, applied for jobs and actually accepted one and moved out of state to a state several states away, which I think is what I needed. Like, I basically just felt like I couldn't breathe. Right. Um, and, you know, I had panic attacks. I was still dealing with trauma. I was going to counseling. But, you know, and my friends all felt really bad for me. And that's how I knew it was bad because that they noticed that they were like, you know, she's not herself. And they knew exactly why because I told them. But it's like, you know, they're pretty accepting people. So if they're like looking at you, like with concern in their eyes, it's like, man, it must be really obvious that something's wrong. Well, they were like reflecting back to you some of like how you're thinking and feeling and behaving. And it's one thing to be like kind of inside your own head or feeling those feelings internally. But then when the people around you are mirroring it back to you, it's, it's harder to ignore. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, And so that was actually a really interesting time as well because I was trying to heal. And I also knew that hating him was not the right path to take because I think hate is like a poison that you drink hoping someone else will die from it, as the saying goes, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that was a bad path. And I remember like wanting bad things to happen to him and then being like, no, he's not going to turn me into a bitter and hateful person. He's not going to do that. I'm not going to let him. I don't have control over what happened, but I have control of what happens from here and who I become. Um, 
And I was interviewed a couple more times by, or one more time by the school over the phone, which was really traumatic. Um, I talk about it on the website so people can kind of read that if it sounds like something that they can unfortunately relate to. But, um, when all was said and done at the end of the summer, he was found more likely than not to have sexually assaulted me. And he had to go to therapy and he couldn't be president of his fraternity. And that was it. So those, those were, that was his only sort of punishment or the only repercussions for his actions. Yeah. And I just like to point out that he could not do that and he could not be an orientation leader for freshman students. You know, statistics show that 18 year old women, freshman women are most likely to be assaulted in their first year of school. Right. So, um, I did what I could, but I mean it, I know that school really well and, that's not really a punishment at all. Like he could easily hurt someone else. So that was, became another part of my journey was not blaming myself for what happened and also not blaming myself for anything he did to someone else. Like, cause I, I really felt bad. You know, I really wanted to do what I could to let people know that he's dangerous, stay away from him, keep an eye on your friends. But you know, that's not my responsibility. Right. And you were, still healing, you know, I'm sure you're preoccupied with kind of dealing with your own side of things. It's not your responsibility to have to try and save everyone from, from him. In reality, you know, it would have been more effective for the schools to have removed this person from campus so that they couldn't have hurt anybody ever again. So that's more on them than it is on anybody else. Yeah. And that was another thing that made me really angry. Um, I actually filed a title nine complaint against them, but that was like four years ago and the political climate's very different now. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. Probably nothing. I don't know. Um, I've also moved a lot, so maybe I just didn't get a male thing, but all I can say is four years later, it's literally been four days and four years and a few days later since the attack. Um, I never thought I would be as okay as I am now. Wow. Like, Ever. I, I thought my life was over. I didn't know what to do. I doubted everything about myself. And um, it it was definitely hard. And I definitely worked through a lot of issues um, with therapy, um, with medication, because um, I do have a chemical imbalance, you know, like depression and anxiety. Sure. And I'm pretty sure trauma makes that worse. Yes, it does. Yeah. We can all be predisposed to some of those imbalances, but then trauma usually reinforces them or brings them to the surface and makes them much, much worse. Yeah, that's exactly it. And um, it's strange. It was really hard. It was really painful. But I feel like I'm I'm now just something better than what I could have been before the attack because I'm a lot wiser. I'm stronger. I love myself. And, you know, most of my life, like most of my... T- you know, been around for about 25, 26 years. And most of that I was probably spent not recognizing how strong of a person I was Mm -hmm. and how kind I was and how brave I was until I had to be brave and I had to be kind to myself and to, you know, mainly to myself because that's who I was kind of neglecting the most, but in general, just everybody. And, um, especially people who have been sexually assaulted as well and having a new sense of sympathy because, you know, I'm one of them. I'm one in the four, one in the six, 
whatever, it doesn't matter. Too many people it happens to. And let me just say, too, that I've heard a lot of survivors talk about this, like, yin and yang feeling of, like, you know, not being happy at all, obviously, that they've gone through this trauma and not wishing it on anyone else either, but also recognizing that they wouldn't be the person that they are today, the person that they love so much without the experience. And so, you know, it is a little bit of, like, you can't always have the good without the bad, not, again, that you would ever want somebody to go through that, but it does bring these characteristics of strength to the surface out of necessity, which is, I don't know, there is like a, a little bit of a beauty to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not a fan of saying that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes <laughs> things happen because people are shitty. Right. <laughs> and that's that. That's the story. There it is. Um, not trying to, you know, shit on anyone who does believe that. Right. Like, maybe I'm wrong. But my personal philosophy is you not everything happens for a reason, but you can control how you react to it. Right. Um, and that's kind of what matters more than anything. Control the things that you can in a situation that you couldn't control. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons. Like I look back and I just, it doesn't seem like it was four years ago, but it was. Mm -hmm. And I've done so many things. I've, you know, dated, even fallen in love once and have just done so many great things that, prove that I didn't let it beat me right and I didn't let hate or anger or bitterness or fear or any of those negative emotions kind of shape my future I mean I've experienced all those things mm -hmm. but again it's like you can't um, change what happens to you you can only change how you react so you know feel what you got to feel but ultimately keep your end goal that you're going to get through this because you are if you believe in yourself um and I did and I'm honestly just a very happy person and I'm a very, I think very strong person and I have a lot and a lot of it has to do with how I handled that, you know, kind of a life defining moment because I chose to make it that way. And I think that's such a hopeful message and, um, and a message that I think a lot of survivors who might be maybe not quite as far along in their healing journey might need to hear that that's a really empowering and hopeful message for people to hear that they can get better, that you can be better than you were before even. Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, I also want to say like, heal on your own journey, man. Like that's, it's part of being like loving yourself and being gentle to yourself is just do it at your own pace. Um, mm -hmm. You know, try not to lash out to somebody who doesn't, you know, understand and just, you know, they want what's best for you and they want you to move on, but understand that they're not you. And so you have to decide you know, where am I at in my journey? You know, I'm going to keep moving forward. But if I'm still angry, that's okay, too. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's natural. That's very wise. That's really wise. And um, I actually would love to just talk a little bit more specifically about like, what does that healing journey look like for you? And what are the things that you do regularly or have done um, to sort of help that healing journey along? Yeah. Um, so I went to therapy for right about a year straight uh, for a, a rape uh, counselor. And um, I've been on medication for about um, three and a half years, um, something like that, on and off. I'm pretty consistent these days. Mm -hmm. um, and I those things are important because they kind of stabilize myself. And I think, you know, I tried for so long not to seek help, you know, before the rape, for my um, 
for my depression and anxiety because I kind of thought lesser of myself for it. And now I'm just like, hell no, I got to do what I got to do to survive. Right. It's okay if you only save one life and it's okay if that life is your own. Right. I think too, there's like a lot of misconceptions about things like therapy and, um, and medication that like, it's gonna magically make everything better. But I think when you're in a place of crisis and you can't achieve any kind of sense of safety that by going to counseling and getting on medication, it's not that it's like healing you, it's creating enough space so that you can actually do the work to heal. Because if you're constantly, you know, suffering from anxiety or panic attacks or depression, then you're preoccupied with those things and you can't get to the healing part. So you got to like get that immediate crisis stable stabilization taken care of first. And then there's so much more room to do all of the things that you can do for yourself to heal. Yeah, no, I think you put that perfectly. That's a uh... That's it, I think. Um, and I don't know. I kind of been think like I regularly have car therapy sessions with myself yes. where I drive and play music and talk to myself because I'm such a great conversationalist. No, you are actually. I think you are doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But I don't know. Something about it the other day. I was very, I guess I was just thinking about my life. Um, I've celebrated my birthday recently. And I'm always usually kind of thoughtful around this time of year just because it's a brand new year from the moment of birth to my next birthday. So it's like a it's like New Year's Eve only for just me. Oh, that's a really, really wonderful way of looking at it. I'm going to use that for my next birthday. Yeah, no, I highly recommend it. It's, it's cool to look back and just think about how you're different and, you know, just what you've done. And, you know, this last year, actually, my 25th year of existence was very rough at times. But um, I got through it and I made good choices and it was just like I took care of myself and I would have reacted a lot more negatively if I hadn't taken care of myself after the rape, if I hadn't gotten therapy, if I hadn't learned um, from my therapist ways to like remember the facts and remember that it's okay to to feel hurt, it's okay to react this way, but how can we make this productive? Mm. And it's, it's been a great journey. And, um, I try not to think about, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that because as a professor of mine said, if you keep thinking that you're going to eventually blame yourself Mm. and it always did, it always turned me blaming myself. Oh, I should have done that. I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. It's like, no, it's okay. People make dumb decisions every day. It's just the time they don't result in anything negative. They look back and they're like, ah, shit, I should have gone to the grocery store or I should have gotten gas this morning. You know, and right. nobody cares, though, because nothing bad happened. It was just an inconvenience. Only this time when something bad happened, it was really traumatic. And that's why I'm beating myself up over everything or why I used to right. over every single action I made. And it's just not a good way to live. So I kind of just wish I could go back and tell myself, you know, belief. You're, when people show you who they are, believe them because there are red flags. Right. Um, And it's not because I blame myself for not being more cold hearted. It's that it would just, how do I say this? It would be that it would be better for my self-esteem if I just hadn't. Right. So it's not because of what they did. It's because of how I felt. And if I could just go back and help myself not feel so low, I, I would. But yeah, and also just, I wish I could tell her that, you know, you're, you're a lot stronger and smarter than you give yourself credit for. Mm. And it's okay if you just want to, if people that don't make you feel good about yourself 
just stay home and read a book. There's a lot of great books, you know, or watch TV or hang out with people with people you don't know that well, but are make you feel good about yourself. Right. Because people, when they show you who they are, believe them. And if you did that, instead of assuming the best of people, it's going to save you a lot of grief to just be like, oh, okay, you know what? That's your problem, not mine. And I'm, I'm also hearing this element of like, you have the power to make yourself feel good about yourself, that you can be in relationship with yourself to a point where like you are enough, you are enough to, to give yourself the self-confidence boost that you need and you don't need that from other people. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. It's just self-love and just acceptance. It's, you know, it's something that everybody talks about when you're growing up, right? especially for girls. But for me, I didn't really fully embrace that until I was at the lowest point in my life, but also at the point where I was rebuilding myself. Right. So it was really important to remember that and be like, you know, this is who I'm going to be from now on. And this person's going to care about herself. And it's, I'm really just so freaking happy these days. You know, I have great friends. I have a great relationship with my family. I, you know, I'm living with some roommates. We're friends. We have fun. Um, I have a job that I really like. I work with people I like. I'm making friends from there. And I'm just so happy with in my own skin Mm -hmm. in a way that I wasn't for probably most of my life. You know, part of that's just being a teenager and being in your early 20s and being like, am I like driving the car right? Or am I about to like drive off a cliff? Right, right. Nowadays, I'm a lot more self-secure. And, um, you know, part of that was because of just taking care of myself after a really bad thing happened and believing in my own future, even if I didn't know what it looked like. Right. That you could get better, that you would get better. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and to kind of circle back to like how I did that, you know, I did the therapy and the medication I wrote for her. And that was really great. That was like a it, it, there's power in your own voice. Right. When you feel like people don't believe you or that people aren't going to believe you, the best thing you can do is just say the truth anyway, because chances are there's people listening who do believe you. And and have gone through similar experiences. And I, I often call that giving people the gift of going second, because most people sort of um, get trapped in that self-doubt. Um, and so, so, but sometimes when you can hear somebody else share their story first, it empowers, you know, the next person to share their story and then the next person and the next person. And they just needed somebody to go first. Oh, I think that's, yeah. Um, for me, honestly, I think I'd already kind of come to terms with it, but the summer or, yeah, I believe it was summer, um, after I was assaulted, I, um, was when the Emily Doe Brock Turner, Mm Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a powerful letter. Yeah. Um, She talks in that letter about being a lighthouse for other survivors and people who've just been abused and, you know, just are going through a really tough time. And so I kind of really try to embrace that. And I don't know if I'm so much a lighthouse anymore because I um, haven't been very active with her anymore just because I've I've healed. She said as she's on a podcast. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm on the podcast. It's pretty lighthousey, I would say. (laughs) well thank you you're welcome (laughs) but uh I don't know I just uh I used to think that the rape was going to define my whole life now I'm just I don't even think about it anymore I'm like no I'm there's a lot more to me than that that's just something that happened and I you know grew from it and you know I I definitely had a lot of rough time in 2016 and the me too um Mm -hmm. 
when when Dr. Christine Blasey Ford uh, testified in front of the Senate, the all male Senate right. uh, panel about um, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, that was uh, I I couldn't watch that. I still have not watched that, and it's because I've been her. Right. And I kind of know, I think, how she feels. And I, it's okay to, it's not weak to just be like, you know, I am going to sit this one out. Uh, I don't want to watch this, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm not healing or that I'm not stronger. It just means that this is really hard-hitting shit, and it happens. It happened to me, and, you know, I got to take care of myself. Yeah, you have a right to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, every now and then something really rough hits, but for the most part, day to day, I'm, I'm really happy with who I've grown into and who I've become. And, um, four years ago, I never would have thought that would happen. I think that's incredibly beautiful. And, um, yeah, I just like, I've never met you and we're doing this over a recording, but, uh, I can like feel, I can feel kind of this, like, strength coming from you it's very magnetic and very um, inspiring and I guess I just would like to ask um, if there's anything that you would want to tell a survivor listening right now wherever they're at in their journey you know that might be helpful to them what would you want them to know or what do you think would be helpful for them to hear oh boy I'm probably think of a great answer for this later when I'm like in the shower yeah (laughs) no pressure um (laughs) I think one thing I would say is that you're not alone and talking about it, even if it's just to your diary, can be super powerful. Um, And if you have a favorite book, if you have a favorite show, if you have a favorite song, um, show yourself some self-care and read the book, watch the show listen to the song like 60,000 times, it's okay. Mm. Because if it makes you feel alive, again, it's worth it. And if you keep finding those moments where you feel alive, that's how you're going to kind of map out, I guess, a constellation of your future self. And you're going to, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And it just is, it's not like in the movies where point A happens, then B, then C, then D, and then climax, and then that's it. That's the movie. It's, it's not like a straight line. It's lots of hours of just being alone in your apartment, not hurting yourself, not being on social media, not doing anything that will hurt you. And just being like, you did everything you could and you're fine. And that's enough. You're enough. And, um, then there's times where you just see a kid at the movie theater with the same haircut as him and you have a huge panic attack, but then you remember that that's not him. And even if it is, that person's not going to hurt you anymore and go find your tribe. I was lucky, you know, I was at a movie theater when that happened and my friends were there waiting for me. And that was kind of who I latched on to. Hmm. So just latch on to whatever you need to remember who you are and whatever makes you feel good. I, I really liked your language too, around this idea of like leaning into the moments that make you feel alive again and um, language that I like to use for, for those types of moments is like marinating in them. 
Um, because I think it's easy to be like, okay, I feel good. Now I need to feel good again, you know, tomorrow and in, in, in an hour from now and a minute from now. And it's like, just kind of like, you know, marinating and basking in those moments so that your body and your brain and your little mind and your soul can just remember how good those moments feel. And that kind of helps like retrain, you know, all of, all of the trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. Just reminding yourself that you're still alive. Yeah. Even if you don't feel like it or if you you know even wish you weren't you just got to remember that there are things out there that do make you happy and there's only going to be more like what's I'm full of quotes because I love to read okay so I'm sorry I love a good quote yeah lay it on me but it's like uh I forget who said it but it was uh what a beautiful thought that the best day of your life hasn't even happened yet yeah yeah that's very very hopeful yeah and I mean, there's a million other great quotes. I mean, I have a whole Pinterest board because that was another thing that I really liked doing. I found is just finding really cool quotes said by people a lot smarter than me and more eloquent and just reminding myself of them. Because I'm like, if somebody else wrote it and it's something I'm thinking, then it can't be false, right? Right. Then other people will feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a really long-winded answer, but hopefully there's something there. (laughs) No, I think that's all incredibly helpful. Um, And... Yeah, again, thank you so much for sharing and I you're just so full of wisdom and I'm feeling really I am feeling really like, you know, inspired right now, so I'm sure that those words will resonate with any survivor um as well and and I know I know that they'll they'll lean into those words and find yeah, find them to be helpful. And so, um with that, I mean, I don't have any other final questions for you. I just want to say again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think it was really moving. And um, and that's it on my end, unless there's anything else that you kind of want to close by saying. No, I mean, just thank you for having me. Thank you for saying so many nice things about me. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been nice talking to you. Yeah. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Uh-huh. You too. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.